Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We are plunging ever more deeply into this great penitential period, this period of preparation, period of vigilance. We, the bride, waiting for the coming of the bridegroom, Christ, the great incarnation, the enfleshment of God, God, the invisible, the incomprehensible, the uncontainable, the ineffable, becomes contained in the womb of a virgin. The creator becomes the creature while still remaining the creator. The great unfathomable mystery unfathomable mystery, the unfathomable mystery of God lowering himself. We call this event, of course, I'm referring to the birth of Christ, but we're in the preparatory period of it, which is a penitential period. The great event is one that we call in the Eastern churches the great condescension, the kenosis, the self-emptying of God. Christus is not about a baby in a manger, though that's a, certainly a, a beautiful and necessary part of it, because that's how Christ began his humanity on earth. He began it in the normal way, other than, of course, not being born of a natural human father. He was, of course, came into this world conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was, of course, miraculous because he was God. But in every other way, except for sin, God chose to be like us, even to the point of coming in this world through a woman, a finite being, a contained space, even though he's uncontainable, as a baby, growing as a child, going through and submitting himself, as we'll see in the next several weeks, submitting himself to his own laws, which were laws meant for people who are sinners. He was not a sinner, of course. He was God and perfect human, perfect God. He submitted himself to all this. As you keep looking at this, keep thinking about it, keep trying to contemplate it and comprehend it, you'll find that it's impossible because it's just such a great, incomprehensibly, in, just incredible mystery. We cannot, as we say in our world today, get our minds around it. We can't get our minds around God or this kind of a mystery. So what we do is 
in the Bible, in the tradition of the church and in its liturgy, we grope for analogies, metaphors. You know how poetry or a, a beautiful greeting card with a touching verse on it says what's in your heart better than you can? We can find our own words, but it, it's like our words aren't enough to express the sentiment. So we look for a poetry, a song, a card it has a verse on it and so on. And this is what then finally expresses or seems to come close, at least, to expressing what's in our heart. Well, it's the same thing in the church and in salvation history. So the great way to try to capture this condescension of God, this, this self-emptying, this lowering of God for our sake, the closest we come, the most comprehensive analogy used in the scriptures and the church is one of a marriage. This is a great spousal mystery, as St. John Paul II would say in his Theology of the Body, the mystery hidden from all eternity, from all time, and now finally revealed in the fullness of time, in the course of time, when God himself decided when he would reveal this great mystery, the incarnation. And this great self-emptying leaves us just absolutely speechless, at least it should. It should leave us in absolute awe and, and try to describe it we come up with these analogies. A, a spousal mystery. Now, what happens in a marriage, in a spousal mystery? Well, we give ourselves to one another. Husband and wife give themselves completely to one another, fully, freely, faithfully, fruitfully, no holding back, as total self-gift. They unite intimately with one another, and by that intimacy, they bring forth life, and they enliven one another. Isn't this exactly the same thing as our whole Christian faith? where Christ the bridegroom weds his bride, in other words, his creation, come to fullness in the church. We speak of the church as being the bride of Christ, yes, but by extension, the whole of creation is Christ's bride. In fact, that's why in the icon of the nativity, the birth of Christ, what we have is featured all of creation. Notice how comprehensive, how beautiful, even a, if you think of a manger scene. In other words, the imagery of the church east and west when it comes to Christmas is very, very enchanting, isn't it? It's, it's just beautiful. It's, it always, I always was struck by the art of Christmas time. I, I love the art of Christmas time. I always have as a child and growing up. Is, of course, I was always interested in art, pursued a career in there, was an artist before as a priest. Now I'm both, comes in handy. But I was always fascinated by the art around Christmas time. Christmas time just, it just inspires creativity because that's exactly what happened. This great creation, this life, this creative act of God becoming one of us, the mother of God birthing God. Not that God originated with a mother, but the person in her womb was both God and man. God comes into this world through a person. He could have just beamed down, beamed aboard like in the old Star Trek TV shows. Now, maybe I'm dating myself. That's what happens a lot of times. I'll refer to a TV show that I knew growing up, and sometimes people younger than me don't know what I'm talking about already, yet these things are so classic when I was growing up, such as Star Trek. It might still be kind of known, but remember they used to beam aboard? Well, God could have just beamed down. I mean, he's God. He could do whatever he wants, but he did not do that. He chose this arduous, painstaking, methodical development from a baby to a child to a young adult to finally a full adult all the way to death on the cross and then, of course, resurrection. He went through the whole stage of human development. It could have done it some other way. It's just incredible as we try to fathom that. And as he did that, 
he basically infused himself in all the creation. So in the icon of the incarnation, the icon of the birth of Christ, you'll notice that there's the cave in the middle, of course. And on the edges of the cave, you know, where the Virgin Mary is, we, we look into the cave and she's there and she's in a great figure of prominence. And there she is with the Christ child. And she's generally looking away as though contemplating the mystery and so that our gaze can be brought to Christ. So it's not like she's hovering over Christ as in some religious pictures of Christmas, which are beautiful and okay, but in iconography, they kind of turn Mary's gaze away. But there as we look in the cave, the edges of the cave, the outer perimeter of the cave is highlighted as though the light from God himself, who is in that cave, incarnated in the human form, in the person of Jesus Christ, as though that light, that grace, that energy is sort of dinging off the cave, touching all of creation. And around that cave is everything from heaven to earth, the star in the sky, the angels representing heaven and the heavens, the cave, the earth, animals, plants, human beings, water. Ever notice that? But it's very similar even in manger scenes. You know, in a crutch, you notice how often and how much is there in the basic manger scene. Yeah, we do focus on Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, but notice that most manger scenes, even in whether they're in paintings or sculptures, or we sometimes people put them out in their front yards and so on, it's actually rather complete. There's light coming out of darkness. There's animals, you know, the, the lamb and the cow and so on. There is trees and straw, and there's people and angels, meaning that this incarnational event was very, absolutely, very, very complete. And so God weds his own creation, unites intimately with his own creation, which means that creation is touched by God's presence, by God's created and uncreated energies, which is precisely why the icon, the cave itself, is highlighted. And why we often have light coming from manger scenes, whether they're in paintings or they're in three dimension. This idea that God's energies, his grace infuses itself into all creation, that then gives creation, in other words, this life, a special quality. In my parish of Annunciation, we're well known for our environmental plan on our 10-acre property. It has changed lives because it basically incarnated God through nature, through the environment, and our sustainable environment and water management master plan for our church. It actually touched people's lives. It changed their lives, gave children a place to come out from behind their videos and into nature and to discover God and to have wonderment. It stopped flooding it's an outdoor classroom. It draws people to its beauty. This is an incarnational reality. And so even on our own property, we reveal God through the environment because God is infused into his own environment. This is like taking icons and iconography, that vision of iconography, which we have an in and outside of our church building itself, taking that to God's creation, the environment. You see, this is the great miracle of this time of year. Yes, it includes the idyllic and charming and beautiful, innocent, sweet, serene scene of the baby in the manger with his mother and his foster father. Yes, it does include that, but it goes way beyond that. That's only the beginning. It goes way beyond that into a complete renewal, a complete vision of all creation. Now, if we have that vision, and this is, again, what the significance of this whole 
Christmas event is. If we have that incarnational vision, I'll also use the word Eucharistic, mystical, sacramental, then that should then influence how we relate to things. Yes, even the environment. You don't have to be an environmentalist to take care of the environment, to see it as sacred, to approach it that way. We don't worship it. We just know that it's sacred because God has infused his presence in it. We can see and wonder about the beauty of creation, the ingeniousness of it all from the master planner himself. How we look at a human being, how we look at everything in that icon, in that scene, all of it is touched by the presence of God And so the only right way to approach all of that, from a star in the sky to a human being to nature, is through this sacramental incarnational worldview. This is what we're preparing for now during this season of the Philip's Fast or Advent, the great period of penance, preparing ourselves to receive this light, this energy that changes our vision. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Father Loya invites you to see the new Tabor Life website. That's taborlife.org. When you land on the homepage, you can see how Tabor Life can help improve your marriage, your life, and how to see the beauty of God's created order in your personal life. On taborlife.org, you can book Father Loya to speak to your organization about the key elements of leadership, relationships, and sexuality, as well as speak on cultural, social, and political issues. As a renowned artist, Father Loya can speak about how art, liturgy, and prayer fit together. On taborlife.org, you can see the many ways of how you can communicate with us. And as you look to the lower right-hand corner of the page, Click on the messenger icon for live chat. And finally, Tabor Life Institute is a 5013C charitable organization that earnestly needs your support. Click on the support link at the top of the page and donate. After all, Tabor Life is powered by you. You're you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host. And we're talking about this preparatory period, which is marvelous because it's preparing us for a marvelous, marvelous event, the great mystery. You see, everything, everything, all reality stems from this one event where this incomprehensible, invisible God becomes visible through physicality, through his own physical creation. In other words, the invisible is made visible through the physical. That comes to its fullness in the human person, the human body, which has its own theology. It reveals the person, it reveals God, as St. John Paul II wisely taught us. But so do the icons teach us, and the liturgy teach us this. So do the scriptures, the very soul of the church, that sacramental life, that it's all about accepting, acknowledging, and living in this incarnational reality, or Conversely, it's about denying it, not seeing it, and therefore not living according to it, or trying to snuff it out, 
to contradict it. This is the essence of all of evil in the world. Since Lucifer fell from heaven, since he was cast out from heaven because of his jealousy and disobedience, his arrogance, his pride, he was cast out of heaven by St. Michael. And ever since, he's been trying to dismantle, deny this incarnational reality. Every philosophy, every heresy in the church, every utopian ideology such as communism or fascism, all these things throughout history were all ways in which there was an attempt to deny this incarnational reality. In other words, to separate the physical world from its spiritual value as a result of the incarnation. That's what makes this feast day so great. In fact, in the earlier years of the church, the feast of the incarnation, Christ's epiphany, the epiphany of the three kings in the West, and the epiphany of The revelation of the Trinity in the East, in other words, Christ's baptism in which the Trinity was revealed, his circumcision, and eventually even his presentation in the temple as a child, where he was brought before the elder Simeon, who remarked, now you may dismiss your servant, Lord, because my eyes have seen, I beheld the Messiah in my hands. Can you imagine that? Nothing else needs to happen to me in this life. What could be better than this? All those events were basically celebrated as one continuous event. They still are in the church, East and West. It's just that it's broken up a little bit more specifically. It's a little bit more compartmentalized. But they're still joined by that one common theme of the showing forth, the revelation of God into our existence and the revelation of God's love through Christ, God who is incarnate now in Christ, who submits himself to his own laws. In other words, he humiliates himself again. The divine condescension was God's self-emptying just by the fact an invisible God would take on physical flesh, finite flesh. He would be contained while still being uncontained. That is enough. But what's more is God goes even further in the person of Jesus Christ by submitting himself to things like circumcision. In other words, the Mosaic laws, which were for sinners to bring the Israelites, the Jewish people back to God. They needed these laws. We would call them rules today or teachings in the church. But it was all to bring us back to God and to help us to participate in this self-emptying of God. He humiliated himself. He, he would submit himself to his own law as an example for us so that he would be with us. He would become one of us and therefore redeem us that way. You see, again, God could have beamed down a board and just, well, he, he didn't have to do that. He could have just blinked his eyes. He could have just thought the thought and we would have been saved and redeemed. But it was a sign of his love that he would go through this process of lowering himself, taking on what we are and infusing himself into his entire creation to redeem it all. This is the great mystery, the great miracle that we're preparing for. And as we prepare, we have to be countercultural. You know, back in October, radio stations, some of them dedicated their whole format, their whole broadcast format, 24-7, to Christmas music. Quote-unquote, I put it in quotes, quote-unquote Christmas music. Now, why would they do that? Why do we start celebrating Christmas as though it's already here before it's actually here? That's actually what pagans do, because then it's just constant celebration, constant holiday, and, and that does nothing for us. Christians wait. They prepare. They wait and look to the east. They look for that light of the east. They prepare. They light that candle to await the coming of the bridegroom like the 
Scripture parable says about the wise virgins versus the unwise virgins, the ones that had oil in their lamps and lit their lamps and were prepared for the coming of the bridegroom because they know not when he would come. So the preparation period is actually very, very much a part of our spirituality. We don't just party all the time. This isn't a holiday. We shouldn't even use that word. In fact, that word comes from holy day. It's a variation of holy day. You know, we, we always distort everything, unfortunately. We allow the secular world to commandeer what is holy, and we sometimes take part in it, sometimes unwillingly, sometimes knowingly. We should back away from that. Christians wait. They prepare their house. They get their oil lamps ready, and they stand vigil in the darkness, waiting for the light of Christ. And we do that through fasting in the Eastern churches, this period of fasting asked of us to give up meat and dairy products Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. But that always goes along with increased prayer. And also the observance of feast days in the church. For instance, this week, we don't have major feast days, but we have significant ones. The feast of the Holy Andrew, the apostle, the first called, is on Monday. Then we have the prophet Nahum, the prophet Habakkuk, the prophet Zephaniah. In other words, we've got a whole series of prophets that we look at, because they, of course, prophesied about the coming of Christ. St. Barbara, a great woman martyr, and St. John Damascene wrote many magnificent texts. He lived in the 8th century. Beautiful prayers in the Eastern churches. There was a great witness. St. Sabas, a great monk. And that'll bring us all the way to next Sunday, a great feast day of a great man, actually the patron saint of the Byzantine Catholic Church. That is St. Nicholas of Myra. Yes, and this year, his feast day lands on a Sunday. How about that for a double celebration, magnificent celebration? On the eve of that, we'll be celebrating with our children. St. Nicholas will come to our church, as he always does. Well, hopefully, I guess he will. I don't think the coronavirus will keep him away. Maybe he'll come with a mask, but I don't think so. He's beyond all this. He's not a man of fear. He's a man of faith, and he's eternal. He's in heaven. He lives forever, but he comes back to us especially to visit the children. He'll come in his faithful horse and buggy up the driveway of our church and give presents to our children, speak to them about holiness. So that'll happen on the eve at our Church of Annunciation on December 5th, which is the eve of December 6th. So the feast days also help to draw us into the expectation of this coming of Christ in the flesh. But again, he's not here yet. We don't party yet. I hear things now because of the coronavirus and so on, shutdowns and lockdowns and not gathering. And I've actually heard experts and government officials say things like, well, I guess we're not going to be able to have Christmas this year because of the coronavirus and the shutdown and lockdown and the safe measures we're supposed to observe. Well, that's ridiculous. See, that shows you where the world is at. They identify Christmas as this coming together in a party. It's all based upon materialistic, earthly, here and now, secular, pagan practices. Oh, if we can't get together and party as fully as we normally did, then there's no Christmas. That's not Christmas. You can't deny or not celebrate Christmas because it already has happened. In fact, it continues to happen. It's happening. The incarnation is still with us. All we do is enter into that mystery that is once and for all. You can't not have Christmas. It's impossible. It's already occurred. We enter into that through the liturgy of the church, and we prepare for that 
through these penitential practices. So I mentioned the fasting, the observance of the liturgical calendar of the church and how that helps to prepare us, the increased prayer and increased charity. Another thing to do, make sure you get to confession. What do you do when a special guest that you've waited a long time to see and you're really, really happy about them coming, what do you do? You clean house, you prepare, right? You put on your best and you act your best. Same thing with us. we got a great guest that we've waited for for a long time. The great mystery now revealed, Jesus Christ. And so we clean house spiritually, the house of our soul. We clean that and with that, everything else so that we can receive Christ in our midst. And this incarnational reality does become real to us. Take this preparation period very seriously. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. gives us an opportunity to become part of a larger family. It can be so lonely when we are struggling in our faith or just trying to live our faith on our own. But Catholic Radio connects us to that larger community of faith where we're able to get the support, the encouragement, and the grace that we need to not just struggle on, but to really celebrate all the blessings that God brings into our life through our Catholic faith. Dr. Greg Popchak thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.